All right, Brother Cody, you can come on up. And uh, Brother Cody's going to bring us the Word of God tonight. So let's have our Bibles ready. I just wanted to share with you for just a couple minutes before he comes to preach, uh, just a burden that's been on my heart for quite some time now, uh, probably about a year. And there's a lot of times over the years that you get a burden about something and uh, it'll wane over time. I, I don't know about you, but every time a missionary puts up his videos, I want to go and help. I want to do something for that, that country, that missionary. It just burdens my heart. But this one's just kind of hanging in there, not going away. I'm really burdened about the future of churches in our country. I'm really afraid that in the next several years we'll have 100 empty pulpits. And uh, I, I had estimated around 50. And uh, right now you could probably easily find 50 right now. That's only five per province of churches that are Baptists like we are. And uh, But I was talking to Pastor Stone, and he's traveling and preaching quite regularly. And he says, I think it's closer to 100. He says, so many are ready to retire and move on and nobody to fill their shoes. And so I'm just asking, uh, the Lord has put some things on my wife's heart and my heart, practically speaking, that we're going to try to do to help and to stimulate uh, young, young people to surrender their lives to Christ and to do more for the cause of Christ across our country. And if we can help facilitate getting some pastors into churches and things, we're just asking for your prayer right now. As the vision broadens, as we put some more things down on paper, we'll share more about it. But I, I really like your prayers. I covet your prayers to make sure that we are doing what the Lord wants us to do. And uh, it was that burden just a few weeks ago. Uh, Brother Noah's here tonight and kind of looked back and saw him, made me think about, Noah, stand up, uh, just so folks know who you are and can pray for you. Noah's been in our school since kindergarten, I believe. Is that right? And he's graduating from high school this year and going off to Bible college and wants to be a preacher. And it burned my heart that uh, we need to do something to try to help Noah. And so just a week ago, we, or two weeks ago, we took him to Faithway Baptist Church in Ajax and let him see the college there and hear the kids sing. And then this last week, Brother and Mrs. Judge were in uh, California for the Spiritual Leadership Conference. So they invested and took Noah so that he could see the college there and be a part of that. And I think he was overwhelmed a little bit uh, by the choir, especially. He loves music. And you've heard Noah play piano and such. And uh, so it just, uh, it's just something that, practically speaking, and I would encourage you, when you get an opportunity, invest in young people. And let me say this, I, I've sat at, at tables years ago at deacons meetings and we've said, well, you know, we invested this in the, in the bus ministry, invested this in the seniors ministry. What did the academy cost us? And I, I had to stop one night and say, guys, it's an investment. It doesn't cost, it's an investment in young lives. We, we invest in every other ministry, we also invest in the academy. And here's proof of it for those of you. Some I know there's some that'll put five dollars every week to the academy on your offering envelope, or you've given a gift in the past, or what have you. You've put your kids to the academy, and you've made that investment. Uh, and tonight we can look at a young man that says, for the last 13 years, he spent in our school, and uh, here he is going off to serve the Lord. And so praise the Lord for that. And there's others in this room. I don't mean to not mention your name, but I'm just centering Noah out a little bit as an example tonight that we want to invest. We need to invest in our future. Um, we do not know where we will find pastors and missionaries, and listen, not just that, deacons, Sunday school teachers. We need to invest in our young people. And when I say invest, I'm not talking just financially, I mean spiritually. You need to be the example, godly example, that they see growing up in the church that makes them desire Say, that's where I need to be. That's where I get close to God. That's, that's the church that is leading me in the right path. 
And so let me encourage you to be that example. Invest in some young people. Don't be afraid to, to go and put your arm around a young person and encourage them and pray for them and help them along the way because we are in dire trouble if we don't. That is our next generation. I love, man, I love all these kids coming in here. This little girl, what's her name, Han Yu Gim? Kendra Lee. Kendra Lee sits down here. Tony sits over here. And they, they, they cheer for us like we're a bunch of basketball players up here. I mean, they get excited about it. doesn't matter what happens. Uh, one, one time somebody walked out to sing and, and they started squealing. They just got so excited that church was about to start. Man, I wish we had that zeal, that excitement. But we need to pass that on to these young people and invest in them and pray for them and see what God will do. All right? Here's a young man right now that, that God took as a teenager and saved him. And now he's preacher of the gospel. Amen. Cody, you come. Yes, and somebody invested in me. That's why I'm here today. Mr. McKenzie took me aside. I just got saved and didn't have any friends, really, because all my friends were friends of the world and didn't really have any friends. And an old elderly man retired, didn't have much to do, just took me out for coffee, invested in me, encouraged me in the Lord, and uh, was instrumental in the early days of, of, of my uh, walk with the Lord. Thankful for that. And maybe you could be one of those people. You take, take one of those kids aside. And, you know, I, this is just personal. I, I, I don't really like that. I mean, we tell the kids uh, during, you know, that come here on Sunday school, that come on the buses to sit in the front rows. But it would be great if they didn't have to sit in the front rows, they had somebody assigned to, not assigned to them, but somebody that would take them under their wing. And I know there's people here that have done that already. They said, come sit with me. Um, That changes a a child's life. That's where the ministry begins right there, the discipleship and the fact that that you are willing to invest and just say, hey, come, come sit with me. They don't get that at home. And some of these kids, they just don't have love in their house. And, uh, they, they feel it here. So thank you for what you do. If you could turn to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. And it was my plan to go a different direction with the message this evening. But just looking over the order of service and saw it was all about the cross. And so I'm just going to preach a, a message entitled The Cross. Just going to talk about the cross this evening and hope that it's a blessing to you. John chapter number 19 and verse 13. This is the road to Calvary, and it says in verse 13, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, two other with him, 
on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for being able to be in this service. Lord, I feel like you've already ministered to our hearts in song. I feel like you've already you've received glory, Lord, and I thank you for that. I thank you for a place that we can come out and called, called out to worship you. And Lord, I just pray at this time as we open up your word that the Holy Spirit would do its work, that the Holy Spirit would penetrate the heart, Lord. Use me, because I'm so inefficient, Lord, and I need your help. I pray in Christ's name, amen. We're talking about the road to Calvary. Before we ever got to the cross, we look at verse 1 in chapter number 19, as it says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. There's a lot that's taking place in this chapter. And just in those couple of words, and scourged him, there's a lot that's taking place right there, isn't there? The scourging, the, the cat, what we would call or refer to as the cat of, the, cat of nine tails. It was a whip, we know, with nine tails, nine pieces of leather on it. And in those pieces of leather, there was shards of bone, shards of glass, shards of metal. Uh, and this, it would rip into the flesh of a back. And it, the death sentence, we know, was how many lashes? 40 lashes. Jesus receiving 39 lashes, just the brink of, of what would we'd be known as death. 39 times, and they scourged him. So much is taking place. Uh, the, the soldiers, in verse 2, the, and the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. I, I really do feel humble just already just to be here and to think about the cross, to sing about the cross, to listen about others sing about the cross. And the thought of that, and the thought that Jesus would go to the cross for me, personally, for me, and personally for you. And even if you're viewing it, you're here in this auditorium, and perhaps you're not saved, or, or you're viewing online, he went to the cross for you. It's personal for you. He was whipped, he was, uh, had his beard torn out, he was mocked and smacked and beaten. And we see in, in, in verse 3, and they said, Hail, King of Jews, and they smote him with their palms. And before that, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Pilate, of course, in verse 4, saying, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Leading up to the road to Calvary, leading up to the cross, so much had already taken place to, to really cause the average person to have already perished. But that was really just the beginning. First of all, I want us to look at Christ called to bear the cross. Christ called to bear the cross. Look at verse 17. It says, and he, referring to Jesus, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is in which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, the place of death, skull representing death, a place where, where only the, the, the vilest offenders would go. He bearing his cross went forth. You know, Christ, he didn't choose a shortcut. He went all the way to Calvary. He bearing his cross went forth. Christ didn't go halfway. 
Uh, he, he, he made it to his destination point. I know when I'm traveling uh, around, and sometimes we will use our GPS or our phone to travel around. And when we use our phone, perhaps we're on a highway, and somehow the, the phone can tell what's taking place ahead, whether it be traffic or an accident. And often what will, what will happen, uh, something will pop up, uh, a shorter route to take. You ever get that? Take this, take, a, take the on-off ramp here and go down this road and you'll avoid a traffic jam. You'll, you'll be able to get there quicker. Uh, you will be able to take a shortcut. But on Christ's journey to Calvary, he didn't choose plan B. Uh, he didn't choose an easier route, a route uh, that would have allowed him to die quicker. No, he didn't choose that. He didn't choose to stop halfway. The Bible says that, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called place of a skull. I don't know what Christianity would be like today if Jesus stopped halfway. I don't know what Christianity and, and, and the fact of being a Christian would be like today if, if he just decided to give up the ghost a little bit early, to throw in the towel a little bit early. But he went all the way. We, we sing the song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. What if it said half atonement, half atonement, can it be, hallelujah, what a Savior. I'd only be able to raise my hand half high if that's what it was. But we know that's not what it says, is it? Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of Calvary, full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Full atonement, every whit. He went all the way to Calvary, fully covered. You are covered fully. Amen. That's where an amen goes, right there. Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who... The joy was set down before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. He was the author. He was a pioneer. He started the faith. He finished the faith. He didn't choose a shortcut. He didn't even choose a substance that would allow him to soothe a bit of his pain. The Bible says in Mark 15, 23, and they gave him drink mingled with wine and myrrh, but he received it not. No shortcut. Christ didn't come down. Aren't you glad that Christ didn't come down? When they started to mock him in, in Luke 23 and 34, then said, they, uh, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And then they said, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them, uh, der deriding him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. So he chose not to prematurely prove his deity. Could you imagine, I would be tempted if I was Jesus, just to come down early. Save yourself, Jesus, bam, he calls those legion of angels. Bear him up in glory. Everybody would have saw and everybody would have had to believe. But he didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to let it remain an aspect of faith. He wants our faith. The devil. The devil knew that Christ had the power to come down. 
Thinking about the Christ getting into his ministry, 30 years old, baptized, led out into the spirit and uh, led out into the wilderness by the spirit. And the devil tempting him after 40 days of fasting, the devil going to him and saying to him in Matthew 4 and verse 6, he saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands shall he bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So God, the devil knew that God, Jesus Christ, had the ability within himself to call the angels at any time for reinforcement, for backup. And that got me thinking about the whole dash thy foot against a stone, lest thou dash thy foot against thy stone, a stone. And then it reminded me of Genesis 3 and verse 15. We're talking about Adam and Eve and then the, the great fall that takes place. And what happened as a result in that in verse 15, as it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Talking about the foot. It made me think, you know, the devil knowing that that. You could be thrown down and, and they'll, take, they'll take care of you. Those angels would take care of you unless you dash your foot against a stone. And now, and then we, we refer back to verse 15 of, of Genesis 3, and thou shalt bruise his heel, re, uh, talking of referring to Calvary. So just the correlation there, I don't know if there's, there's a connection, but just the thought that the devil knew what was taking place. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew that at any moment, Christ could have called those angels in, but he didn't take a shortcut. Secondly, I want to look here at Christ, Christ and how he transformed the thought of the cross. Now, behind us, we have a cross. There are some that take the extreme of, of, of almost uh, imagery worship in some religions like Roman Catholicism when it comes to the cross and worshiping the image of the cross. And then there's others that, that uh, go the opposite direction and say, we, won't, we don't want a cross in our church because we don't want any imagery whatsoever. But what do you think of when you think of the cross? What comes to your mind? What remembrance and what, what, what comes to your mind when you think of the cross? You know, before Jesus ever died on the cross, it had a whole different meaning. When he died on the cross, he changed the thought of the cross. Not, not, no longer really a, an instrument, and, and uh, of course it is an instrument of death, and it is a, it's a vile thing, and I would have never imagined ever, uh, you know, having a, any emblem or anything uh, visible that would be anything related to an electric chair, or a noose, or a gallow, or anything like that, or a death instrument. Could you imagine in the synagogue out front, there would be a, a, you know, a, a noose? People would say, that's just weird. But because of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, he radically transformed the thought of something that was used for death, and he turned it into a sign of hope. And love, and now that we look at it, it's just a reminder of all the all the love that was displayed, and all all the the grace that God has given through the cross. We sung, we have uh, heard about it this evening. Three words transform that thought, in John nineteen and verse thirty. 
When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is, what's that next word? Finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Three words that radically changed the thought of the cross. It is finished. Full atonement given. Redemption draweth nigh. Reminds me of a song. He loves me, it's entitled. Why did he go to Calvary? Why was his life's blood shed for me? Why did he suffer like no man has ever done? There's just one reason. I am the one. He loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me. All summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Second, or 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There's a lot of powerful things that take place in this world. We've seen earthquakes and mudslides and volcanoes and different things, great disasters and how the earth can shake. But far more than that, when a person gets saved, that is the power of God. It's nothing no, no world can do. No, no power can mend. When, when, a, when a soul gets translated from darkness unto light, that is the power of God. And I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just simply reminding you this evening. It's through the power of God that a person gets saved in faith and by the grace of God. Thirdly, Christ's cross was the only cross of reconciliation. Christ's cross was the only cross of reconciliation. Many people died on the cross. People today, even in the Middle East, Christians are still die on a cross. They're murdered. But because he was the spotless Lamb of God, God in the flesh, his cross was the cross of reconciliation. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2, if you can. Ephesians 2 and verse 11, where it says, Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh. Just want a, re- a quick side note here. Wherefore, remember. Don't forget. Don't forget what God has saved you from. Don't, don't forget where would you be right now if it wasn't for the grace of God. Where would you be right now if it wasn't for Calvary, the cross, and his love? Where would you be? Would, some of you probably wouldn't even be alive right now if it wasn't for the grace of God and you, you coming to him and receiving a new life, being born again. It says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, uh, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were, saw, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And it really hasn't changed, has it? We see people uh, like never before with what? No hope. Why? They're without God. 
No hope in the world and without God. No hope to live another day. Uh, and they're with, why? Because they're without God. Perhaps you were one day, you were, at some point in your life, you were in that position. No hope. Do you remember that day when you, you really had no hope? But now in Christ, you have hope. Look at, look at what it says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, uh, were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Could you imagine what it had been like before Christ? You've got the Jews and you've got the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, I'm sure there was a, some Gentiles that would just wonder what, it was, what the temple was like. And just, just wonder what it would be like to meet with God. And just wonder, uh, just desire to uh, uh, be able to worship God in a, in a setting like that, be able to be there and be able to hear from God. But because of Christ, the Bible is saying he, he has broken down that middle uh, wall, a partition between us. That separating, dividing wall between us. And you know, today the devil is working overtime to erect a wall between God's children uh, to cause division to take place. Uh, so when that happens, just as a side note, when that happens, and pray that it does not happen because the devil's trying to do that, how do you respond? How do you respond? Just quickly as a side note, let's turn to Genesis chapter number 13. Keep your place here, but turn over to Genesis chapter number 13. I believe Abram lays out a, just a quick thought on how to respond when division begins to creep in. Verse 5, Genesis 13, verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Uh, we'll, we'll actually, we'll, we'll just go to verse, verse 1 real quick. And Abram went up uh, out of Egypt and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the into the south. And Abraham was very, or Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Now we'll go down to verse five. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. So they had so much, I believe that their inventory began to mix. Gareth, what would it have been like if the sheep, if your, your neighbor's sheep started mixing with your sheep? You wouldn't like that, would you? That's why they spray paint, I think, isn't it? They spray paint them different colors. Yeah. So could you imagine what it would have been like? No, those, those are my, that's my flock. Or those are, those are my sheep. Or those are my cow. And there, there was just inventory disaster to businessmen here. Inventory disaster. Not knowing your inventory, your stock is a horrible thing. And they, they couldn't dwell together in unity. They, they couldn't get to the place where it was really working together uh, as farmers. <clears throat> Not able to bear them. Verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, and here's the key right here. Why? For we be brethren. There it is right there. 
Oh, you believe this and I believe that and you know, strife and, and division is creeping in. How, does it, how do we cure it? With the thought of we're, we have the same citizenship. We are the children of God. That should far outweigh any view that a person has. By far. And just a, a reminder, just a reminder that we ought to keep that in mind in the day that we're living. We be brethren. We're family. We're under the, the household of God, the same citizenship. My citizenship is in heaven, and, and we mind the things of God, and we are on the same team. There's a dying to self that takes place, of course. Verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will take, go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. He gave him first choice. He was selfless, and he said, okay, you're going to go there, I'll go here. It wasn't, no, I want the best land, I deserve the land, and I'm, I'm the elder here, and I, I, I get first dibs. No, it was, okay, you do that. There was a bit of self, there was a wiggle room there. <clears throat> back to our, that was just a side note, but back to our text in Ephesians. We're talking about Christ's cross was the only cross of reconciliation, First of all, between man, if we go back to Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 15, having abolished in the flesh the enemy, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new flesh, so making peace. Jew and Gentile, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. They were able now to worship in this new dispensation of time, the age of grace. They were able now to come together and to worship God. Could you imagine being a Gentile? Finally getting to get, go into the temple and worship God. Christ made that possible because his cross was the cross of reconciliation between man, but also between God in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enemy thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Wow, reconciliation. You know, that, that word reconciliation, truth in reconciliation day, a new day that was added to the calendar, and I think that was necessary. And I think that, that our nation... Uh, it's a great shame what took place in the residential school. And we have some, even in, this, uh, in, our, in our church, that were in residential schools. And shame to the Catholic church that had done that. Um, but when I thought and I heard that truth in Reconciliation Day, it made me think about the Bible. And it made me think, uh, what if the people of Canada came to the realization of the truth of the gospel as a nation? What if the people of Canada came to the realization on who Christ really is, the one that can reconcile? Uh, what if they came to the uh, place in their life where they realized what the cross was and the, the gift offered, and they came to the realization, the truth of who they were? The Bible says that we're all sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And because of that, we're all under the same uh, condemnation. But, if we, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The means of truth, of true reconciliation is through Christ. What if our nation came to the, and had a desire to be reconciled with God? It reminds me of Isaiah 1.18 where it says, Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What if truth and reconciliation day, uh, they came to that truth and reconciliation, I I should say. You know what would happen? Revival would take place. Our nation would be changed. For in, in, in Colossians 1.19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by, by him I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Aren't you thankful today that Christ already did the work and he reconciled our our deeds and he reconciled what took place so that we can freely come to him? Ten years ago today, I had, if you have Facebook, memories pop up. You ever have a memory pop up? You know, five years ago, you posted this. Ten years ago. Ten years ago today, I posted on Facebook this. You can't comprehend what he is going to do until you understand what he has done. He said in John 19.30, it is finished. So just a reminder about the cross. Christ was called to bear the cross. Didn't take any shortcuts. Uh, Didn't take plan B. Full atonement. Christ transformed the the thought, the very thought of the cross when he said, it is finished. And Christ's cross was the only cross that could reconcile. Ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood. Thank the Lord for Calvary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. How, how, could, how could we thank you enough for the blood? How could we begin to thank you, Lord, for Calvary, the cross? Lord, I think of maybe there's somebody here that have, has not received atonement, has not been forgiven and not come to the, the Calvary before. Lord, I pray that, that their hearts would be moved, that they'd make that decision, that they would not leave this place before they made that decision. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.